before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of The Endgame, featuring my co-host Bill Fleckenstein and our very special guest Michael Howell of Cross Border Capital. Throughout The Endgame series, several concepts have emerged in more conversations than one can attribute to simple coincidence. One of them is liquidity. With the importance of liquidity being so foundational to the continued rise of asset prices across the spectrum and across the world, it seemed like a great idea to talk with Michael about the work he and Cross Border do in studying liquidity flows between asset classes and geographical regions. The conversation that followed was hugely enlightening and, as you'll see, gave Bill another one of his aha moments, similar to that he experienced when talking to Mike Green in episode three of The Endgame. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, and The Narrative Game is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, please enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Endgame. Joining me, as always, my co-host and general all-around good guy, Bill Fleckenstein. Hi, mate. Thank you, mate, for that nice introduction. Well, I'm very interested today to talk to our guest because I have seen the word liquidity tossed around in so many different ways, shapes, and forms in my 40 years in the investment business, and I've seen a lot of it be bogus. This seems like hey, uh, Michael seems like an extremely serious practitioner uh, and and a person of capable of discussing the topic. So I'm really looking forward to uh, getting a few uh, questions that I have answered. Yeah, no, my, Michael Howell of Cross Border Capital is our guest today, and Michael is um, is absolutely the guy I always turn to when I've got any questions about liquidity. He's here, they, they put a lot of good stuff up on Twitter uh, at Cross Border Cap, um, and their work on the subject of liquidity is is deep and um, and and dense, but it's it's understandable. And and Michael has such a great handle on this that um, I think it'd be a really interesting conversation because, as you say, Bill, this this word gets thrown around. It's a, it's popped up in so many episodes of the end game. So we figured it was time to get someone on who could actually help us kind of analyze it and see what role it plays. So why don't we get Michael on? Without further ado, let's do it. Michael, welcome to the end game. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Sure, great pleasure to be here, Grant. You know, Bill and I have been kind of chatting about all these various moving parts of the financial system in, in an attempt to try and figure out not only what's happening now, but but what happens next, and which I think is probably far more important, how the system that currently feels like it's reaching at the end of its useful life transitions to whatever replaces it. And there's one word that keeps cropping up, 
in a lot of these conversations, and that's liquidity. And I don't know anybody that, that monitors liquidity as, as closely and as effectively and communicates about it as well as you. So, so I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to, to have you come and, and chat with us about liquidity, you know, what we mean by it, how you monitor it, its importance, and the, and the various kind of pockets of liquidity that, that bear watching. So that, that's really what we'd, we'd love to chat with you about today. Sure, sure. Delighted to help. Um, I mean, I can give you a little bit of the history of how how I first got into this. Um, that basically goes back to the late 1980s when I was working at Salmon Brothers. And um, Salmon Brothers at the time, I mean, let me maybe step back because many people may not know who Salmon yeah, right. Um Salmon Brothers, now probably part of, uh, of Citigroup, uh, was um, when I joined them, the biggest trading firm worldwide. And yeah. dominated the fixed income and forex markets, and were basically making um, entry into the world arena and beginning to go cross border really for the first time. It was um, you know they were they were um, the so called big of uh, Michael Lewis's book uh, Liars Poker. That was uh, you know launched Michael Lewis's career as a writer. Uh, if you want some insight at what went on, Salmon Brothers, read that book. Yeah, Salmon Brothers in the in the mid to late 1980s was beginning to internationalize its business. And one of the things we wanted to try and understand was the size of the, of the business that someone could get. So I was tasked with looking at um, cross-border flow to get an idea of what the size of that market could be, what the profit opportunities were. And I started to dig into the data and I realized, well, hey, there wasn't really any data. Nobody really started to track this thing at all. Uh, it was it was really a new science, and so what I began to do was to pull in data from various areas, uh, starting with the US, but looking at uh, what the UK was doing, what Japan was doing, etc., and then sort of building up a sort of tapestry of what the uh, world liquidity picture was doing. Now we began to call that global liquidity. We realised that that was a fast-moving feature of the world economy. A lot of liquidity had been unleashed, uh, particularly through episodes called Plaza and the Louvre Accords when central banks were uh, easing liquidity um, sort of pretty much together in a coordinated fashion. And what you saw were these big waves of liquidity really hitting markets. And we haven't looked back from that. I mean, that's what we do. That's our, that's our business. We, try, we have uh, an investment uh, business on top of that that actually, well, I'm not part of that, but it's the other side of the Chinese wall that runs money based on this data. So when we talk about liquidity, I mean, the, the word is thrown around so much these days. And I think everybody has a general sense of, of what we mean by that. But but again, you know, it's another one of those things that in, in the age of central banks interfering in every single corner of capital markets, people tend to associate liquidity really with QE these days and, and monetary policy. But talk about what you mean by liquidity and the different types of liquidity that are out there that you monitor. Okay, I think what you've got to do first of all is to distinguish market liquidity, which is all about depth or measures of the spread, you know, bid-ask spread, from funding liquidity, which is already the thing that we look at. Now, funding liquidity creates market liquidity, so you can't have good market liquidity without good funding liquidity. Basically, funding liquidity gives uh, investors or dealers the ability to transact. In other words, it, it gives them the ability to take on positions. Uh, if you like, it's a, a measure of balance sheet capacity. And we measure it uh, by looking at, um, uh, at the asset side of, of really the private sector balance sheets, We're looking at all forms of credit and all forms of savings 
that effectively move through financial markets. So in other words, it includes things like uh, traditional bank credit, shadow bank credit, um, corporate cash flow, uh, household savings, all these elements. These are all sources of liquidity. So fundamentally, what we're doing is we're taking a flow of funds approach and we're focusing on the sources of liquidity, not so much the uses of liquidity. We're very much looking at the sources. Now, one of the paradoxes in this whole game is that what people talk about as money supply, okay, the M2 measure, is actually not a source of liquidity. It's a use of liquidity because it's bank deposits. If I get a lot of credit or a lot of cash flow, I put it into a bank. Okay. And that's where people get muddled with this whole thing. Now, that bank deposit may well be, it may become a source of future lending because a bank can then fund itself through that. But it's not what we're really looking at. So we're looking at the assets. So we focus much more on credit. As um, you know, Henry Kaufman, who used to be uh, head of research at Salem Brothers and pioneered a lot of this stuff, says, you know, um, money matters, but credit counts. And that's what we're focusing on. So where are we seeing the, the biggest kind of shifts in liquidity post the pandemic? Because obviously there's been this fiscal and monetary blitz we've seen now. How has that kind of affected the dynamics of liquidity flows? Okay, but I think what you've got to do is you've got to look at uh, principally sort of three main sources of liquidity, global liquidity. One is what central banks are doing. So that really comes under the heading of QE. And post the pandemic, that has been a hu- that's been a huge factor. So what you've seen is a significant elevation in the size of central bank QE, which has gone from something like $20 trillion to basically $30 trillion. So that's a 50% jump on average. Some central banks have done more, some have done less. The second source is basically private sector. Now, the private sector tends to leverage up uh, its balance sheet or its liquidity based on two things. Number one is what the central banks can provide. So if you like feedstock from the central banks uh, that enables banks to actually borrow and leverage. And the other element is collateral. Uh, so they can actually create liquidity themselves using collateral. And that's where you know all this uh, discussion about the repo market and reverse repos really comes in or FX swaps. This is liquidity that is created within by the private sector within the private sector. And then there's a the third element, which is cross-border flows, which really don't necessarily affect the overall picture, but clearly can affect, can give a regional slant to how liquidity is shifting from one area to the other. And that tends to be particularly important when you look at emerging markets, because the story in emerging markets is pretty much all a cross-border story. Now, if you say, well, okay, let's, moving on from that, what has really been the major dynamic? Uh, Let's take two periods. One is the period, let's say, over the last maybe 10 to 20 years, what's really changed and what has changed more recently. Without any question, the elephant in the room in the last 20 years is China. China has basically come to dominate uh, the global liquidity pool, okay, in terms of value or the amount outstanding. China is now responsible for about 30% of global liquidity, which is an eye-wateringly large number. Now, fortunately, it punches below its weight So a lot of that liquidity is stored up in China and it doesn't get out, right? The U.S. punches above its weight because U.S. liquidity and the U.S. dollar is paramount. The U.S. probably accounts for about 25% of global liquidity now. But that number has come down as a percentage. China, 20 years ago, was barely 10%. 
of global liquidity. Uh, I think was the actual answer was about 6%. So it's, it's come from almost nowhere to a big, big number. And that's really because the Chinese have, uh, have developed their financial markets. There's been these credit booms going on, etc. A lot of that has been held within the Chinese economy. Full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.